Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. So what's a true competitor? What is a true competitor? Or in the bookcase, what's a true artist? Is a true competitor a true competitor? Is it all about just being on the top of the podium? Or is it a real competitor? A real competitor wants the like in that if that was the case, you would want hope and pray that your competition stumble, falls, and trips. Mm. That's what you would want. Because what you're looking for is the is the thing at the end, the accolades and the awards and the people justifying where you are. If you're an artist or an author, is it about the book sales? Is it about someone going like the public saying, yes, you are good? Or are you doing this from the intrinsic motivation? Because it's what makes fulfills you. It's one of those, it's the, the saying like, don't ask what the world needs, do what sets your heart on fire. Because what the world needs is more people with their heart on fire. The people that are doing the thing with their heart on fire are going to get the side effects. They're going to get onto the podium. They're going to sell a lot of books. But when we chase the extrinsic, we may miss the thing that truly is going to evolve us as a species which is us doing what we are so ultimately passionate about. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing, never stop. Hello and welcome back to Chasing Excellence. As always, here with Ben. How are you, sir? I'm doing so good. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing very well, thank you. We are going to talk about at some point in a recent episode. You were you you said in the middle of a conversation, "Oh, we should do an episode on that." So I made a note, and the note was comparison is the thief of joy. But at this point, neither mm. you or I can remember exactly what we were talking about or why we thought that would make a good episode. But it's on my list of episodes to do, so we're going to do it. And so. What I want to talk to you about or, or where I kind of want to get us to kind of explore this idea is something that I think about a lot, uh, which is the, the, the difference or the dichotomy between um, intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic, of course, being uh, something inside of us kind of fuels us, kind of pushes us forward is we can't really explain it, but it's there and we just want to try to tap into it as much as we can. And extrinsic motivation is motivation that's out there in the world that we can lean on, we can rely on, we can help pull us forward, right? So if we're an athlete, maybe it's it's a leaderboard or a whiteboard. If we're a business, it's uh, it's a competitor. If we're, you know, fill in the blank, right? It's, it's something outside of us that is helping us, at least quote unquote, helping us uh, uh, make decisions, go forward, go in a certain direction. And so when I think about this idea of comparison as being the thief of joy, uh, whether or not that is... Uh, uh, true or not. What I think about is hmm. I know people who, at least to, on the surface to me, feel like really extrinsically motivated. They want to be the person with 
uh, a certain salary. They want to be a certain, you know, a certain job title, or uh, they want to live in a certain neighborhood in a certain kind of house. They want to drive a, a kind of a car. They want to be at the top of the podium and not a, a, an also ran in a, in a competition. And at least again, on the surface, not knowing them deeply, it feels to me like that's that they're, they're using that kind of intrinsic extrinsic motivation rather as a positive thing as a thing that's really like it's making them work hard. It's making them focus. It's making them say no to all the things that won't drive them towards that particular goal. And so um, I kind of want to talk about that. And, and I think about myself in that relation. I think it's something that I've always struggled with this, the, the extrinsic. I'm not, I'm not, and will probably not surprise you. Like I'm not an overly competitive person. I'm not like looking at what everybody else is doing and everybody else's Instagram followers and, and deciding that I must be failing in some way. I've always been more intrinsically motivated. And so I think maybe just to enter into the conversation, what's what I'm curious about, I can guess at it, but I'm curious, like, where do you fall in on that that balance. Like if I made you give me like a percentage of like, I'm X intrinsic X because you, you're a competitive person. Like you've, you started a, a, a thriving company to help competitive athletes get onto the called podium. Comp yeah. Train. Called comp train. Uh, and you are a triathlete, <laughs> like all these yeah. things. And so I yeah. know you're a competitive person. Right. Is that an extrinsic thing? Is that an intrinsic thing? I don't actually know. So I guess first question to you is just like, where do you put yourself in that balance between intrinsic and extrinsic? Yeah. Um, it's such a cool conversation just to bring the awareness to that. Cause I think it is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing to understand the differences in that, that weird dichotomy of like, ooh, do they rub up against each other? Are they mutually exclusive? Do they feed each other? And, um, I, I, I believe, and I believe I'm substantially more intrinsically motivated. Mm -hmm. I think that because I don't look at like, I don't look at the I have no idea how many books I've sold. I have no idea um, how many likes I get on posts. I never go back to revisit them. Um, I've, you know, I'm just it, those other things don't excite me, but other things do for sure. Um, I've, you know, and I don't know. So I, I certainly have levels of extrinsic motivation, but I, I think we all do. Having said that, I think that we should be aspiring. To be more, we should be aspiring to be more like Patrick Cummings, <laughs> Hardly. more intrinsically yeah. motivated. And here's the here's the reason why. This is, I I, I think it stems down into our evolutionary biology, mm. like from a DNA perspective. I think that we are hardwired for extrinsic motivation, much more so than intrinsic, because it was very closely correlated. This the tribe saying, Patrick, you are special. Patrick, uh, here's an award. Patrick, here is an accolade. Patrick, here is a um, a better cut of meat. Here is a better mate. As you got more attention, more awareness, as you got, got climbed the ranks, as you climbed the ranks, your chances of survival went mm -hmm. up. If you were seen by the tribe for millennia and millennia of you know, like human existence as very valuable, if the tribe said, we need to keep Patrick is so valuable to our tribe. They would work hard to protect you and to keep you safe. And then your offspring would have a better chance of being protected and safe. So it's built into us from a biological perspective. The strange thing is that doesn't serve us anymore, but it's still massively hardwired into us. Much the same way that this fight or flight mechanism does not serve us the way that it's supposed to anymore. 
back in the day, if you heard a twig go snap in the woods, it might be a saber-toothed tiger. It might be, you know, some predator coming to take you. So we have this really, really high-tuned CNS awareness system to detect danger. It's phenomenal. Just like most startle, flinch, response, fight or flight, like most animals do. Ours might not be as good as the rabbit in the backyard, but it's it's still pretty honed in. Unfortunately, we don't have – not unfortunately. Fortunately, <laughs> we don't have the predators walking around now. We don't have to worry about a pterodactyl coming down and scooping us up. We don't have to worry about you know rabid you know sharks with laser beams roaming the streets with AK-47s, like some sci-fi movie or something like that. We live in a very, very relatively safe environment. Now, I realize that there are war-torn countries and stuff like that, but for the majority of the world, we live in the safest environment that's ever existed for humanity. But hardwired into us is this overactive fight or flight. Mm. And now, instead of the saber-toothed tiger or the pterodactyl, we have bosses and we have traffic and we have social media and we have gossip. And we respond to those like they're life-threatening things when they're not. And it wreaks havoc on us, both from an emotional and a physiological perspective. This is a big reason for disease, it's like stress. The crazy thing about stress, we talk about this in other things. Stress is basically it's a it's a physiological response that is responding to your emotions, and your emotions are responding to your environment. And your environment is interpreted; it's not real, because if you interpret the environment different than I do, you hear a dog, you love dogs, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. I hate dogs. I was attacked by a dog. It makes me feel like. I'm vulnerable. I'm going to die. It's just the way we interpret the environment. It's not the actual environment. So again, what this comes down to is this thing that doesn't serve us, but it's built into us. Much like extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. Whereas extrinsic is the awards, the accolades. You are special. You are going... It basically used to be correlated to your chance of survival. That's not true anymore. What we need to shift away from is... The, the tribe saying, you are special, Patrick, because you have a Lamborghini. You are special because you have a million followers on Facebook. You are special because you have won the competition and get back into what is going to serve us both individually and as a species. And what serves us eventually speaks to our purpose. And our purpose is I believe that we all have the same purpose. And that purpose is to evolve our species, to create something better. It happens. It's the same for us as it is for every other animal species out there. It's to, our purpose is to survive, to have offspring, and give that offspring a better chance of survival than we did. That's kind of like really like ev biological evolutionary purpose, like 101. And the world is constantly changing. What was once a forest has become a... Um, a walking path, which became a dirt road, which became a paved road, which became a super highway, which is then becomes the super hyperloop underneath and flying cars in the future. Like we are evolving, whether we like it or not, there is no standing still. So what we are fighting constantly is against that complacency and standing still or worse de-evolution where we get shorter, fatter, and weaker. But what we're trying to do is evolve and give our species a better chance of survival. Now that happens both from evolving our minds, evolving our bodies, living longer, becoming smarter, passing off better genetics to our next, you know, it's, it's the evolution of our consciousness and us as a species. That to me is if, 
if we all walked around with that all the time, that's intrinsic motivation. That's you doing what's the best thing for our species. What you do not need to do is get more followers on social media. That's the extrinsic. What you don't need to do is have your parents go, Patrick, I'm proud of you. That's ego. Extrinsic motivation is fully related to ego. Ego likes things. It likes the cars. It likes the thumbs up. It likes the Facebook likes. It likes the more followers. It likes people saying you're special in any which way. Sometimes this works negatively. You can be special and be somebody that's a drug addict. That's ego. They're trying to be special in their own different way. I'm not like everybody else. I'm the victim type thing. But your ego likes to latch on to things. Ego is at odds with us evolving as a species. It's this weird thing that we have that no other species has, which is we have the ability to have awareness of our thoughts. Nobody else gets that. It's what makes us who we are. Other ones are just the startle spots. It's just instinct. They don't get to think about it. They don't get to self-reflect. This is what makes us special. And the more that we can melt the ego out of this, the more intrinsically motivated we are, aka be better at this for the sake of being better at it, aka be present right here in the moment, which by the way, gets to the, what I alluded to just then was our inner purpose. We also have outer purposes, mm-hmm. which the outer purpose is constantly changing. It's why people have such a hard time with what's my purpose. They're trying to do, find their outer purpose. When their inner purpose is the same, become awoken, enlightened, a spiritual being, become the best physical form of yourself. Like that's all, that's what we're trying to do. That's everyone's purpose. But the outer purpose takes different forms. And it could be for you. It could be to share the message of health and happiness through a podcast. It could be um, to create a drug that eliminates cancer. It could be finding a new way to recycle and keep plastics out of the ocean. It could be Um, create a safer form of transportation. Like everyone's outer purpose is different, unique to them, their skill sets, but also what is it changes. And this is what people have such a hard time with because your purpose right now is different than what your purpose is going to be in three hours when you're at the dinner table with your family. At three hours, your purpose should not be to share this message. It should be to connect with your family. And that is constantly changing. And that's why it's so important because it's constantly changing to be uh, in touch with, aware of, and in tune with right now, the present moment. And if you are attached to things, things are not in the present moment. Things are the events that have happened to you in the past or the events that you're fearful of or hopeful of in the future, pulling you away from the now, or they're material things, which aren't which are co- totally related to the ego. Mm-hmm. It's all about the cars or the, the even, by the way, even like experiences. Experiences can even be things that your ego wants to attach to. So maybe that's a really long convoluted um, floating answer to intrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. But I believe that we should all be shifting towards, as, towards, the more intrinsic motivation, because that's more in line with what we should be trying to evolve ourselves as a species and try to melt away this extrinsic, even at the expense of, well, no, it creates goals and it's about being driven and it's about motivation. It's about all those cool, 
Are they for the right reasons and the right purposes or are they to feed your ego? And if those extrinsic motivations are there to feed the ego, they're toxic because any one of those things can be stripped away. And you're attaching your judgment, your value, your worth to things that aren't under your control. And what we need to do is instead, it doesn't matter if you are, I forget who said this, but I loved it. It's like, if you are a prisoner of war and you are, um, they're starving you and torturing you, you can still, oh, it's a singer from um, Untethered Soul. Uh, Basically, the idea is you still have the ability to have the intrinsic motivation to be at peace with that moment. Now, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to give any sort of illusion that like I'm even close to that whatsoever, but it doesn't mean something that we shouldn't be aspiring to. And there are people that have been there. John Stockdale, Gandhi, um, um, uh, Nelson Mandela, like there's plenty of people on planet earth that have been in those situations that are able to operate with that mindset. So it is attainable for us, however difficult it might be. And what makes it harder on top of that is not only is it built into our DNA, but it's been like double down and triple down with like social media and the awareness of like the haves and the have nots and everyone's living their best life. And wow, what's wrong with me? And now we get into the comparison thing of I'm not where I'm supposed to be in my journey, man. I'm that's why comparison is the thief of all joy because it puts the value on the things the extrinsic, not the intrinsic, which should be inside of us and are totally under our control at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You, you just mentioned control because that's that's kind of what I, my head keeps going back to is much of much of when we look at extrinsic motivations are ultimately things that are outside of our control to, to a very large degree, right? Whether you get on the podium or not, whether you get the raise or not, whether you uh, get the car or not. But at the same time, the actions that might get you there aren't necessarily extrinsically motivated. And what what I mean by that is, you know, Catherine doesn't show up every day to train as hard as she can or as smart as she can on Tuesday because 314 days from now, she's going to compete for a chance to, to, to get on the podium. She's doing it. I think she's doing, I think a lot of athletes do it because there's something intrinsic about that process that, that is, satisfying some amount of that purpose, whatever that, however they might put it, whatever words they might give it. And so I guess the question in there might be, how do you start looking at, or maybe you don't, but how do you start using the extrinsic in a way that is advantageous or that is at least moves us closer to being the intrinsic motivator, right? So let's, you know, you said, uh, you know, I I think you said, um, something about book sales, right? Like it's at some point, like, I don't know how many books I've sold. Right. But, and I know this isn't exactly your case, but if you were an author, if that was like how, how you identified and who you wanted to be, the book sales might be at least part of a motivating factor for you to sit down every single day and write for two hours. That might be part of it. And is, is that a negative or is it a positive if we can turn it into the things that are within our control, if we can turn it into the intrinsic and not only focus ourselves, both our actions and our, and our emotions on, on the extrinsic. Yeah. I think if it's extrinsic, I think it's false. So what's a true competitor? What is a true competitor? 
or in the bookcase, what's a true artist? Mm -hmm. Is a true competitor a true competitor? Is it all about just being on the top of the podium? Or is it a real competitor? A real competitor wants the like in that if that was the case, you would want hope and pray that your competition stumble, falls, and trips. Mm. That's what you would want. Because what you're looking for is the is the thing at the end, the accolades and the awards and the people justifying where you are. If you're an artist or an author, is it about the book sales? Is it about someone going like the public saying, yes, you are good? Or are you doing this from the intrinsic motivation? Because it's what makes fulfills you. It's one of those, it's the, the saying like, don't ask what the world needs, do what sets your heart on fire. Because what the world needs is more people with their heart on fire. The people that are doing the thing with their heart on fire are going to get the side effects. They're going to get onto the podium. They're going to sell a lot of books. But when we chase the extrinsic, we may miss the thing that truly is going to evolve us as a species, which is us doing what we are so ultimately passionate about. I don't want somebody to go to Wall Street to make a million dollars because they think that that's going to, you know, it's going to prove to their parents that they made it. It's going to get, you should be going there because you love learning about companies and you love um, having the investigation side of it. And you love like Warren Buffett stuff. Mm. Like Warren Buffett, he, he's not doing that to be the richest man in the world. He loves that. He loves it so much. He's been doing it since he was seven. He's now the richest, one of the richest men in the world. He doesn't need to be doing this at all, but he's still doing it because he loves it. He finds so much intrinsic motivation out of it. This is the true artist. This is the true investor. It's the true competitor. Now, you kind of start this off with like you own a company that's called Comp Train. Yeah. It's just flying the face <laughs> of like, this is exactly what we mean when we say like, when I look for a competitor and what I'm trying to build as competitors, we want our... If we're playing tennis, there are people when you're playing tennis that want their opponent to double fault their serve, mm -hmm. right? You double fault, I get a point. You make a mistake, I get the rewards. That is not, that's something that's extrinsically motivated. I just want to win at all costs. It doesn't matter anything else. Which, by the way, those are the athletes that when they retire, those are the athletes when they get injured, those are the athletes that when something happens... They crumble and they fall apart and they have no nothing else to fall back upon. As, the po as opposed to the true competitors. When you're lining up, I want you to get your – and if you play tennis, like the first serve is always your best one. Your second serve is more conservative. I want you to get your first serve in. I want your best. And when you're going in the tournament, if the number one at, um, athlete gets knocked out, dang, I don't get to go up against him. The whole idea behind this is – it's the evolution of us and us competing is not the pie. And if you win, I get a smaller slice. It's about us competing and together making a more beautiful, delicious, bigger pie and us doing that together and competing against each other. This is why evolution is driven by competition. It's gets to like the, the root of this whole thing that the survival of the fittest is that there is competition over the ideas, there's competition over scarce resources. The strongest will survive it. It gets back to the inner. We want competition. Competition is a great thing. Now, 
it's really cool if you can do that competition thing without any of the extrinsic stuff, without any of the ego of like pass, fail, but you're doing it purely for the hearts, purely for the drive, purely for the love of the competition, not weighing and measuring yourself based off of your value of what you won or lost. And it's built into us because this is what we were rewarded for. Hey, little Johnny, how'd soccer game go? It was good, dad. Did you win? Did you score any goals? No. What went wrong? What happened? Why not? It's like, instead of like, you know, I don't even know what the right question. I'm not that evolved as a parent yet to get there, but like what the right question is to make sure that we're driving the right reward systems for what we should be driving mm-hmm. towards. Like, did you, and it gets back to, did you, did you work your hardest? Did you um, get to overcome any challenges? Did you fall behind? Like, that would be so cool of a question, right? Like, did you, because if you win easy and yeah, we won nine to one in a soccer game. Like, okay. Are you going to like reward that? Well, you guys are awesome. You guys are so good. Or, yeah, we lost. You lost? Yeah, we we were down four nothing and we lost four to three. We came back like, that's the that's awesome. So you didn't lose heart. You kept competing regardless of the scoreboard. These are the things that reward us outside of the playing field. This is what it means to be a true competitor. You want the very, very, very best from your competitors because we know that that will drive the very, very best out of you. If you go to a CrossFit gym, we all know this. You go to the CrossFit gym, you're warming up for class, and the person that's your ability walks in. You're like, ah, God. Like, you know you're going to work harder than when it was all full of grandmas and kindergartners. You know you're going to smash them. You didn't have to work hard. Well, the reason you're going to work harder is because their person is going to drive the best of you because they have the same ability. You're going to compete. And if you do that day after day after day, you're going to get much better than if you're in a class with grandmas and kindergartners. We want that. It's going to drive us forward. So a couple of things. One, you said, uh, or you mentioned reward systems, which I think is is kind of key to this, right? Because so much of our actions are based on the feedback that we've received from the previous action. Oh, somebody liked that post. I'll do more of that. That makes me feel good, right? That's a, that little dopamine hit. Um, oh, I, I got third in that competition. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to try to get second. Right. And so how in your, in your mind, do we start to rewrite the, I don't know if it's the feedback systems, the reward systems, something so that we're starting to reward ourselves for the kinds of things you're talking about, the kind of intrinsically motivated, the intrinsically driven, uh, actions, emotions, feelings, what does what is beginning? What does that begin to look like in your mind uh, to start rewarding ourselves for those things, so that again we can keep doing them, so that we're like, oh, that felt really good. I'm going to do that again. It's uh, to me, it's it, it boils down always to awareness. So it's awareness of these triggers and what are the things that make you feel good? What are the things that make you feel bad? What are the things that you feel kind of funny and weird and all this? It's it's becoming aware of what's going on. And when you get that little hit of like, oh, that person's, you know, you, you look at your social media post and it has a thousand likes. And you're like, oh my gosh, that feels so good. Like, wow, that's, and realize that's what, it, so that's the first part is the awareness like, whoa, that made me feel good. And then pull it back. Why did that make me feel good? That made you feel good because of this evolutionary biology perspective of it's feeding into your ego. That ego to get the awareness that the ego does not serve us. 
It seems like it does because it wants importance. That's the whole idea behind ego is it wants to feel important. It wants, it's trying to grow and grow and grow inside of you constantly. That's at odds of us becoming more. It's at, it's at, the, it's also at the destruction of every like massive thing that's ever happened. Like Hitler was the biggest egomaniac ever. I'm not saying like, you know, you winning awards and getting likes on social media is equivalent to that whatsoever. But it's the, you have to recognize how destructive the ego is and what the ego will do to get fed. And some things don't seem that bad. Like you coming in third place and someone patting you on the back and going, nice job, I'm getting third place. And you're getting first place and people like handing you a big check and wow, that feels good. Those aren't destructive. They're not. But what we have to realize is that those are very closely associated. And if you don't pull it back, it's going to take a certain form. And that form is dangerous because we start attaching ourselves to things instead of the intrinsic things, which is the process. So how do we do this? How do we reframe it? It takes really good coaches, teachers, parents, mentors, people, policymakers, whoever to like start talking about it. Or it takes you taking ownership, responsibility of doing the work yourself and I'm not saying that I, I mean, I, I massively like the ego controls a huge part of my life and I'm massively affected by external motivators in a massive, massive way. But it doesn't mean that I'm not trying to become more aware of them. It doesn't mean that I'm not trying to feed into more into my inner purpose and my intrinsic motivations of dedicating myself to the process and the things that I know are right and things that necessarily don't feed my ego, but I know are going to be good for me in the long run. So I'm curious, you, you sort of teed something up for me, thinking about this idea that we kind of walked into this conversation with is comparison being the thief of joy. Um, and maybe the, the contrast to your idea of competitiveness or a true competitor. What is that difference to you? What is the difference between competing and comparing? And because those two, to, to me, feel like they could be very easily interchanged, maybe to our detriment. And so can you maybe just unpack that a little bit? Because it feels like that's what you're trying to tease apart. Um, uh, and so I'm just curious, like, what are the differences and, and how do we lean towards competitiveness as you've laid it out versus comparison, which I think is that extrinsic stuff? Traditionally, the way competitive has been measured has been wins and losses. And that's not the way I look at it at all. We can use competition to make ourselves better. That's what it's about. Without competition, we are not. So if you're a business and that business has no competition, you are not going to evolve or be as good as you possibly could as if that was competition. It's really interesting. I had a conversation with the head of marketing at, um, at Noble. Mm. And there's this really up and coming athlete that, um, you know, in their CrossFit space, and Noble was actually was actually hoping that Nike would sign them. Mm. That and that was just like so like such a, an amazing per, like perspective to take on that because they realize that with Nike coming and being a bigger player in the space, it's going to make everything better. It's not about dominating, which is what most people say when they see competition. It's like I have to win. It's about dominating. It's much more about this Simon Sinek version of like the finite versus the infinite game. And these people think that it's about like market share or customers or revenue or profits. And they're just making it up much like 
athletes go, it's about being on the podium. It's about wins. It's about medals. It's about prize money. It's about, they're making that up. Whereas the more enlightened approach would be, we don't know what it's about. Mm -hmm. So why are we like chasing these things that are really outside of our control? They are things that are feeding our ego. And why would we not go towards the more, the more inner purpose stuff, the more intrinsic motivators, which is let's use competition. Let's use this platform. Let's use the scoreboard to drive us to be better than we were yesterday. That's what a true competitor is seeking. A true competitor is seeking competition because they know that they can be better themselves. It's about being better than yesterday. Dot, dot, dot. Without measuring yourself and judging yourself along the way. Because that's what a lot of people then do. Is they go, well, I, I, I haven't peered in my back squat. I haven't peered in my snatch. And dot, dot, dot. I haven't beaten this person. I haven't, I'm slipping on the leaderboard. It's like, it's, a, it's truly, it's about, I don't want to say it's, but there is this essence of letting go. And when you let go of certain things, all of a sudden it frees you up to be better. You can be so, try to force things so much that you're creating, you're manufacturing resistance that's not there. It's, you know, the writer's block. I need to get this done. I need to, oh my God, why isn't this working? It's like, just let it go. And the words may start flowing. It's like, it, I, I use that word. It's a flow state. You can't force a flow state. So if you are trying to force something, if you're trying to compete against something to win, the chances of you getting into a flow state, which is by the, like in terms of like evolution, if we were all operating a flow state all the time, our species would just like take off. Yep. So I think that that's the biggest misconception with competition is that it's a zero sum game. Your wins are my losses. And that's not the case. And the end all be all goal is to win. And that's not it. I actually think that, um, you know, when you do this, it elevates the work in a massive way because lots of people are working hard. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of people that are working really hard. But everyone knows how much harder they work when they're competing. Mm -hmm. And when you're competing, again, going back to the business model or like you're playing basketball against a third grader versus somebody that's your ability, like you're going to try harder. So competition, I think, is just a, like a vehicle. I think it's a, a tool that we can use to make ourselves better. Funny you mentioned uh, Simon Sinek, an infinite game. He's got a part of part of playing the infinite game, uh, and it's a it's a book he came out with a couple of years ago, which is really good. A lot a lot of it actually tracks with what we're talking about here to a degree. But one of the things he says is kind of a marker of playing the infinite game is identifying what he called the worthy rival, right? And it's that it's that person who pushes you to be better. That's the it's the one who you see doing the thing that you guys are maybe sort of doing a similar thing, and you're like. Oh, I wish I had done that or damn it. He, he got there faster than I did, whatever it might be, but it, it pulls you along or it pushes you to get better as like you're saying. And it's not, ah, you know, screw you. I'm going to take you down. That's not, that's not a worthy rival. A worthy rival is one who makes you better. Um, and I love that idea. And I love that noble, at least in this context is seeing Nike as a worthy rival and not the enemy. And that's such an, in, that's such an important distinction. When we make enemies, 
That's our ego. When we make, when we find, identify, and pursue worthy rivals, that is not an enemy. That is somebody. That is a teammate in 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 many ways. Um, and I think that's such an important shift, an important paradigm shift to see the world through. It's not. I love what. Like I love what you just said. It's not me versus you. It's not I win and you lose. It's can we find a way that we both that we both win in the way that we're trying to win. One of my favorite stories of that, and I, I, I love that we're leaning into this, is John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg. Mm. So John McEnroe was the number two test player in the world. Bjorn Borg was the number one. Bjorn Borg announces his retirement, and McEnroe goes to him and begs him mm. not to retire. That is a competitor. I can't be my best if you retire. You're going to be number one. Like He retires, he announces it, and John McEnroe is the number one. But it's not about the leaderboard. It's not about the accolades. It's not about the awards. It's about getting the most out of us. And a worthy rival is an awesome way to do that. Yeah. It's interesting. One of the things I've thought about a lot lately is, is um, we, we spend a lot of time wanting to be better. And we don't spend nearly enough time wanting to get better. And I think that's the, that's, I think the distinction that, uh, at least I'm kind of going to be walking away from this conversation, thinking about a little bit more is where am I focused too much on being better and fill, de- define that however one defines it. Right. Um, and not enough time, not enough energy, not enough attention on the process by which one gets better. Cause that's where all the magic is. That's where the intrinsic stuff is. That's where the flow states are. The, the being better hopefully you never get there because the the process of getting better forever continues. You, you know, you, we've talked about this before, get on the podium, you feel good for an hour. And then the next day is well, and, and then it's like, well, now I've got to, I've got to do it again, or I've got to do it better, or I've got to get, uh, I've got to shore up my weaknesses. Right. So the idea of better is in many ways, the idea of excellence that we've talked about a lot. It's, it's, it's an, it's a mirage. It's an oasis. It's a thing for us to aim for. But man, let's hope we never get there because that's not the point. The point is the process by which you get there. Yeah, I love that. It's um, You know, it's, it's like, I, I don't want to beat the dead horse thing about this, but that the, it's not getting to the end. Like it's, it's not I, I, what you're saying there. The, the being better is what somebody is like, it's just an, it's an award. Like we got to get ourselves away from like the award thing of like someone it's just, it's like recognition when it really is all about the, 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 the day of it. And here's the thing that, you know, it's kind of, as you're talking through that, the process when there's this delicate balance, because there are people with massive egos that achieve a ton and people point to them and go, look, like, look, there's so much, there's so much that they accomplished. But there's also so many people that are living out their best selves that you don't hear from because mm-hmm. they're not looking for the attention. And if those people had the platforms but they don't want them. They don't need them because they're so content, happy, fulfilled with their lives. They are constantly in the state of being better. It's not someone going and 
and, and pulling them out of the crowd and going like, look, this person did it. They don't need to get there. And a big part of that is, we kind of said it a second ago, but is, is that letting go aspect yeah. and letting go of needing the results right now. And there's a level of patience to it. And there's a level of non-judgment and open-mindedness and positivity and um, letting things just kind of be. And an example of this is I was, you know, we talked about um, my experience with Wim Hof breathing mm-hmm. recently. And, you know, I started to get really into it. I was like, you know, I, I, I want to be able to hold my breath for three minutes. And I, the more I, the more I focused on that, the more elusive it got, mm-hmm. it got harder. I actually got worse at holding my breath because I was trying so hard. And a, a couple sessions have happened where I actually just let, I, I let it go. I just thought like, that was what I was saying to myself. I was just like, just let it go. I was breathing and I changed my breathing pattern completely because I wasn't trying to quote what you learn, oxygenate the body as much as you can. And I just literally just sat there and just let everything go. And, um, I had my longest breath hold I've ever had in my mm-hmm. life. Just from the time that like literally the day I stopped trying was the day I made the most gains. And right, right now it's going through my mind actually is like, you're telling this story to feed your ego. It's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm becoming so aware of this, like this, like, um, awareness of the awareness thing. And I think that if we can, um, try to pull that back a little bit and not look for um, the justification along the way and truly just enjoy the process for what it actually is. That to me is like really in line with what we should all be doing all the time. Uh, maybe, maybe last question. It's, to me, it's like, that's what total freedom is. That's what peace is. That's what stillness is. That's what, you know, that's what we're all searching for is this beautiful homeostasis where we're not in this, it's a struggle-free state. You know, it's like the, the gap between stimulus and response and you're able to kind of just like expand that and like lean into that and not get wrapped up into that little voice in your head, which loves to tell you stories. It just loves, 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 loves to tell you stories. Those stories aren't real. <laughs> like they're not real though. They're, it's making up a story to make you feel more important. And when we are able to kind of just like let that melt away, that's when the great work happens. That's when you all of a sudden can get more muscle ups. You can hold your breath longer. You can write that amazing essay. You can um, be truly in love with somebody. I think that that's the, the, the magic that we're all searching for. Last question is just maybe related to or, or where um, ambition fits into this conversation and this idea of becoming a competitor um, versus, a, you, know, you know, competing versus comparing. Where is all ambition bad? Is, is ambition pointed in the wrong direction bad, but ambition pointed in the right direction good? Is, is there another word we should be using there? Because you're an ambitious guy. I'm an ambitious guy. Like where, where and how do we start to make that ambition serve us and not hinder us? Yeah, great. I love that question. Um, it, 
Ambition is phenomenal. Ambition is awesome. Ambition is the best thing that we should all have. Ambition is the opposite of complacency. We are striving for betterment. But why? Mm -hmm. Like what is the, what is the, you know, it's, you ask yourself the five whys. I am so ambitious. I re I'm so, so badly want this. Okay. Why? Well, because if I, I so badly, so let's say I want to, I so badly want to make a million dollars. Why? Because if I make a million dollars, I will have um, financial security. I won't have to worry about my, my family. Okay. Why is that important to you? Because if I do that, then I can have um, the freedom and the peace of mind to be able to dot, dot, dot. Okay. Why is that? And also you get to this thing. It's like, it's not the million dollars that you're pursuing. That's just, that's, that's the car. That's the vehicle. That's, that's a means to it. What you're really searching for is peace. What you're really searching for is um, a harmonious state. What you're really looking for is safety. What you're really looking for. So it's okay to be ambitious, but what you don't want to do is there's so many people that are ambitious for that and they think that that's the thing and they burn everything up in their wake and they their ego gets a hold of them and goes, you want that because of that. That's the thing you want. Or they go, you want that because of everyone will then think that you're amazing and everyone will respect you if you do that. And well, okay, why does they, they stop at that question? So what they're searching for is respect and recognition. And that's not what you got to ask yourself the five whys. You got to peel it back because it's not the respect and recognition you're looking for. There's a reason you want that. Okay, what is it? And once you get peeled back, and then you realize that it's not that that you're chasing. So it might be a different vehicle or don't burn things up along the way. And certainly don't put so much value into the things because what you're actually looking for is to fulfill your inner and outer purpose. And the things can be distractions along the way because your ego loves the things. And recognition is a thing. Yeah. And how much more valuable would it be to actually understand why does recognition, why am I chasing recognition? Why am I chasing status? Why am I chasing fill in the blank? Solve for that, right? We've talked about before, right? Uh, um, uh, root the cause, right? When you've got an athlete in front of you, well, it's probably better for you to root the cause than, than, than not. It's the same thing in almost, in almost all areas of our lives, right? Figure out what is actually causing me to chase that thing. Cause it's not that thing. Like you just said, it's, it's not this, the car won't solve it. Cause after that, you'll want another car, a bigger car, a faster car, same with jobs, same with salary, same with everything. And so if you can start to get an understanding of what is actually at the root cause of this chase, then guess what? You get to actually make decisions and take actions that might solve that thing instead of Man, I hope that Band-Aid is the one that finally stops the bleeding. I hope that one is. Okay, that wasn't it. I've got to go chase another thing. Go to the source of it. Go to the root cause. And man, how much more time, how much more energy, how much how much frustration can we save <laughs> if we actually just it's harder work. It's a lot harder work to to go to the root cause. It's it's uh it's slower. You've got to be patient. You've got to be honest. But man, like actually stop the bleeding where it's bleeding. And this is, this is, I love that. So this is what we're talking about when we say like, make sure you're climbing the right ladder, right? Cause you get to the top of the ladder. You think you've got there, you've made your million dollars. You've done, and what you were actually looking for was love and respect. That was what you were actually looking for. But on your way to get there, you got divorced. You lost your relationship with your kids. You're fat and you're out of shape. Like 
So now you have no, there's, but you have that, but you got to the top of the ladder, but it wasn't the thing that you were actually looking for. Whereas if you came back down the ladder, looked around and go like, what is it that I'm actually chasing? What is the thing that is actually going to fulfill me? What is the actual thing that's going to make me happy? And then you can chase things with ambition, with purpose behind them in line with what you value in your life. I love that. I remember. I think it's a good place to wrap up. That was fun. Thank you. I hope everybody else out there liked it. <laughs> thank you, everybody out there for listening. Uh, if you've gotten this far, thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back for another episode of Chasing Excellence next week. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.